Hey everybody, welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. I'm John Burke, and with me as always is Matt Hudson from whatiwatchtonight.co.uk. Matt, how you doing, sir? Uh, I'm doing very well, my friend. I'm, it's, it's late night over here in the United Kingdom, and I feel like I'm ready to party like it's 1999. The Halcyon Days, one of the best years in film. Uh, even with The Phantom Menace coming out, I do enjoy The Phantom Menace. I'm a Star Wars head. Of course I do. Um, dude, I'm doing very well. I've got a cup of tea as per usual. Uh, it's nearing the end of the week. Hopefully we've got a good film to talk about tonight. We'll get to that. Uh, but no, I am pleased to report everything as well over here in the UK. I'm going to throw it right back at you like a quarterback throws a football to the receiver. Mm. How are yes. you doing, my friend? You keeping Florida safe and well? I am. I'm fine. Um, you know, it's a uh, groundhog day today when we're recording so this. It is. And it, it it's this week has felt very long so much so that I had one coworker say this week, this week feels like it's taking forever. And then a few minutes later, without hearing that a different coworker walked by, I was like, this week's <laughs> taking forever. And I'm like, wow. Uh, no, no, not now. Um, yeah. On groundhog day, I can't have repetition. It'll did, freak did me you out. See um, the uh, announcement. I think it was in like Montreal or, or I think it was in Quebec. Yeah. Cause they were speaking French, but the, the town came out. Uh, as we're recording on Groundhog Day, the town mayor came out to present uh, the Groundhog and um, uh, and uh, do, do their usual celebrations. And they had to announce that the Groundhog had died. The Groundhog had oh. passed away. So now people are kind of worrying, what does that mean? Is the world coming to an end because the Groundhog's died? Yeah, that's I did not see that. That is wild. Um, I did see that uh, in Punxsutawney, I believe they said he saw a shadow. Um but man, that's wild. Uh, yeah, I, I often will watch Groundhog Day on Groundhog Day. I probably won't tonight. Um, but who knows? Uh, I might feel like I need a, a little bit of Bill Murray uh, to, to soothe my soul. Yes, but, sir. Uh, we are talking 90s today, though. Matt kind of alluded to it because uh, rarely uh, we're, we're talking about a, a VOD only release. This is not a streaming release. This is like you have to pay video on demand. Um, we, we briefly talked about this last week, uh, in preparation for this episode, but we're going to be covering this week. Our main review is Millennium Bugs. Um, and Millennium Bugs is directed by Alejandro Montoya Mar- Marin. And I have interviewed him, uh, on my old podcast, Burke Reviews Movie Club, technically top five movies back in the day, same place where I met Matt all those yes, many sir. years ago. Uh, oh, and they man. were probably within a few months of each other, to be honest. It, it was. I remember you doing. I remember you say. I think we did ours first, and then I, I remember so. you saying you were speaking to Alejandro. And then after that, I, I was able to watch uh, Monday because of that. Um, so JB JB set me up with a film already in the early days. Good days they were. Right, and I do think. Uh, I I don't know if, if use. I probably use the word friend too liberally, but I do think of Alejandro as a friend. We're definitely acquaintances. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've spoken on many occasions. We interact on social media. Um, and, uh, he's just, he's talked to one of my classes. He let me show his first feature film Monday, um, to one of my classes. And then he did a Q and a with them over Skype. So, Very um, cool. he's a super cool guy, loves movies. And, um, I, uh, helped fund the Indiegogo for the movie we're covering tonight, Millennium Bugs, several years ago when he started the process. Um, and, I actually saw this movie a couple of years ago, and uh, now that it's finally getting a wide release, um, we were asked if we would be willing to talk about it on the podcast. And uh, just as this is full disclosure, um, the the reviews, the opinions we're going to give are our genuine opinions. But yes. do know that these are, you know, this is the circumstances in which this movie is being reviewed. Um, but 
the main reason why I said yes isn't because he's a person I consider to be a friend, isn't because I like the movie, but it's because I like to be um, a place where you can find movies that are worth seeing that you won't get marketed to the same way other films. This movie is not going to have the marketing budget to make sure you see it on billboards or to have a trailer in front of uh, the big movie releases. The only way you're going to learn about this movie's existence is people like us. And um, I like to be that voice when I can. So I, I happily said, yes, was I grateful that it's also a movie that I have positive feelings for? Yeah, because it makes it a lot easier. This would be a very awkward podcast today if I was like, oh, this movie's kind of bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, thanks for and, putting the money in. It sucks. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't going to say no to JB um, or Alejandro uh, in terms of getting this film on, on the pod. I, I was just sorry to interrupt. But I was just looking at when I got this. I got this sent to me on Wednesday, the 26th of August, 2020. It feels so, so long ago now. Um but here we are finally talking about it, dude. Yep. And that is uh, what we're going to get into. So let's do that. We said it's written and directed by Alejandro. Um, the cast are um, a, a bunch of people that are very talented, although I don't know that you will have seen them in anything. But just in case, Katie Aaron is our lead. Um, I'm going to forget character names off the top of my head, uh, but I will pull those up. Kelly. Um, Kelly. And uh, sorry, I'm switching back and forth between tabs, folks. Michael Lovato is... Um, Miguel, and then uh, Micah McNeil, Sophia Embed, Jamie H. Jung, who is, I've also interviewed uh, and been on my old podcast. Yes. Um, and he started podcasting, much like Matt, because I introduced him to podcasting. And uh, God I like to trailblazer. Um, Kenneth McL- uh, McLaughlin, who is uh, both Jamie and Kenneth are the stars of Alejandro's first film, Monday. Um, and so I was excited when he, uh, to see them in this movie as well. They have smaller parts in this film than they did on Monday, but both are really talented. And uh, if you, I believe Monday was on Amazon for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really enjoy that movie a lot too. So if you like uh, Millennium Bugs, I do recommend that you look for other work that Alejandro's done. He has a YouTube channel. Um, he does a lot of short films. Some of them are very, very funny. Um, Alejandro's got a real sense of humor. And um, this movie, Millennium Bugs, uh, is set in the days leading up to the year 2000. So it's set in 1999, <laughs> literally the last few days of the year. Uh, Kelly and Miguel, who are best friends, along with uh, the rest of the world, find themselves facing mounting pressures and harsh realities of their futures. Usually, here's where we tell you what other people thought, but this is a relatively new wide release. And so there's no scores yet. We don't have a rotten tomato score, although uh, it was fun looking at rotten tomatoes and there's two reviews up there. Ours will be up there soon, but uh, two of them, I know uh, one of them, Rosa Parra um, is Latinx lens. Uh, She's, I follow her on social media. She's very friendly, um, has a lot of, I think often similar opinions to me about movies. She Mm -hmm. gave it the positive score on rotten tomatoes. Um, so fresh. And then Alan NG, I don't know how to pronounce that. And I'm so sorry. Um, I know I, I should know how to pronounce that, but I do not, but he's uh, from film threat also gives it the fresh rating. Um, both of those were from back in 2020. So, uh, you know, the people who have been able to see this and give reviews have been positive. Um, and we're going to talk about it now, uh, since, I can't tell you the other scores, but we're going to get into it. We're going to be contributing either positive or negative by the end of this review. So we'll Here see we how go. that goes. Um, but this should be available on iTunes. Uh, I believe February 7th is the date that I was told. Um, so keep an eye out. It won't be on all VOD, but for sure it's on iTunes. I think it will be on a few other platforms. So check those and uh, rent or buy um, Millennium Bugs if you 
want to listen. I mean, after you hear our review, of course, obviously I, I, I wrote my review for this. So at burkreviews.com, you can go and read uh, my initial reaction to the film and it hasn't changed. Um, it, Alejandro has a really strong sense of the nineties. Uh, this movie did remind me of clerks, which is a favorite of mine. Um, in, in terms of like, it's commentary on, um, they're talking about pop culture. There's a lot of pop cultural references, which is something I really always click with because I obsess over pop culture. And um, I think Alejandro is very similar. Uh, mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons when we, when I interviewed him, we clicked so well because we like a lot of the same stuff. We're both big movie nerds. Um, he's just chose to make them. I choose to write about them instead. Very well. Too. Um, and you know, but um, I, I thought Katie and Michael uh, do a terrific job as Kelly and Miguel. I think, my initial opinion of the two characters was I was not vibing with Miguel at first, but that's kind of the point you're supposed mm-hmm. to kind of, he's a wet blanket at first. And then he loosens up a little bit. Kelly's a bit too wild. And over the course, it, we're expecting change. And I think the movie does a terrific job navigating these two characters, um, understanding the stresses of the time period, the uncertainty of everything and how that kind of relates to the uncertainty of life. That life is, a struggle. We don't know what's coming. We're always kind of fearing the worst. And sometimes the worst doesn't come, but that doesn't mean everything else is still okay. Right? Like there's still things that we have to take care of. There's things that we have to deal with. And sometimes it's hard. That's part of the the struggle. We use the phrase now adulting, which was not a buzzword in 1999, but that's ultimately what this movie's kind of exploring is how do we become adults, especially when we are in this civilization in this culture this world that these two characters find themselves in and i think he does a terrific job exploring those things um these are flawed characters but they are they're not so flawed that they're unlikable and i think that's an important balance that some filmmakers struggle to find Uh, how do you make a character have issues to be troubled to be flawed and still be empathetic and still uh want them to succeed want them to be able to figure it out and i think alejandro manages to do that with both characters in this movie um, and I, I can't, I can't deny I'm partial to this setting. I, this is my senior year, 1999. And then 2000, I graduate. Uh, so I remember the Y2K phenomenon. I remember New Year's Eve or watching, um, uh, MTV's, you know, like New Year's Eve special Limp Biscuit plays 1999, the Prince song on the thing. Like I have vivid memories of this New Year's more so than any other New Year's of my life, because there was so much anxiety about it. People were genuinely scared. Um, I think my family even let me have champagne. I was only like 17, but they were just like, yeah, well, who knows? We may not be here in 20 <laughs> minutes. Um, so, uh, and by, by champagne, like we mean the cheap stuff, right? Like I was talking, it's probably sparkling wine because based on the uh, Wayne's World story. Yes, sir. I doubt it was from the champagne region of France. <laughs> Nevertheless, um, I, I think all of those things, uh, along with, again, having very similar sensibilities to Alejandro, Millennium Bugs works for me tremendously. Um, I, I do want people to get to see this movie. I think um, Alejandro represents this new age of filmmaker. Um, it's it's similar. We you know Tarantino and Edgar Wright grew up on movies. We've grown up on Tarantino, Edgar Wright, where and Kevin Smith, where it's a lot of referential stuff. It's uh, you know loving pop culture and obsessing over it and relating back on how pop culture affects us and affects our kind of interpretation of reality and seeing filmmakers that have that perspective getting to make movies, I think is a big thing. And I'd love to see, have this movie find its audience. Cause I think when it does, it will become a cult classic. I think there's going to be a lot of love for this movie because it does have an audience. Uh, but mm-hmm. I am interested, Matt, if you're one of those members of the audience, what did you think of millennium bugs? 
Uh, I was a member of the audience who watched this film, John. I can confirm I've watched this for the show. Uh, I was very lucky to have received that link many moons ago and to be able to rewatch it in 2023 is bonkers. But remember, we've had a pandemic in between that, which I believe uh, actually halted the premiere of this film. Was it South by Southwest? I think it was. It to be uh, for off. Monday. Uh, for oh, Monday. yes. Okay. I'm sorry. I, yes. I, I don't know for sure if there was supposed to be a uh, festival release at South by for this or not. Um, I do think it has had some festival runs. Uh, I'm just not sure which festivals. I think it has done now, certainly. But um, I know COVID was well, COVID was COVID. But um, I do enjoy me a, a coming of age story, John. I do enjoy me a dramedy. I also enjoy a trip back to the 90s, um, which is why I enjoyed Millennium Bugs. Uh, listeners to the show for the last five years know that myself and John as well. But myself, I'll always happily be honest about a film if I don't like it. Uh, but that's not the case in this instance. It's not. Uh, I wouldn't say a film was very good because we were able to see it early, or um, or John has an acquaintance with the director or writer. In the end of the day, if a film isn't great, a film's not great. I'm going to say it. However, in this instance, I had a good time with Millennium Bugs. It's very much up my alley in terms of the the fact that we pretty much just follow these two characters, like you mentioned, John. We follow Kelly and Miguel, Katie Aaron and Michael Lovato. And their chemistry works really well in this film because if it doesn't, you really haven't got a hope in, in succeeding. And of course, they're the odd couple in a sense as well. You have Kelly, who is who's an alcoholic essentially, who's getting over some past trauma, shall we say? Uh, in and she's a bit more abrasive. Shall we, and, and Miguel is, you know, he comes from a good family. He comes from a hardworking family. He's a hardworking dude, but he's a little bit more reserved in that sense, but they kind of bring out the best and worst in each other. It's, it's a friendship. It feels like a friendship. You have a film here, which deals with uh, a platonic friendship and it's excellent to see the two work well together. I must say, I was very impressed by Katie Aaron. I thought she, uh, I thought her performance felt very, I felt very raw, very electric at times. I did enjoy mm. Michael Lovato like you. I think he actually, he grew into the film right. the more meat he got on those bones, but I didn't have any, th- any issues with his, performance uh whatsoever overall um i think the film looks good as well independent films have a license of, of freedom they have that element of freedom that you don't also of, often get with a studio film but sometimes that that can also bring limitations uh, i know that i know uh, monday was the seven thousand dollar film this was i think fifty thousand dollar the budget was mm-hmm. sometimes you can look at that me specifically you get indie films coming through sometimes and sometimes they don't look great Sometimes you just have to be honest and say, yes. it doesn't look right. This one does. And I mean, that. This, I was really surprised when I, when I was watching it, that like, the grading, the lighting, um, it looked fr- it looked very polished, looked very professional. Do not mean to sound condescending when I say that I'm talking more about the budget here. This is not a, this is an extremely low budget film, but it doesn't look like one. It doesn't play what like one. It doesn't feel like one. Um, and you mentioned I, Edgar I, Wright. Oh, sorry, go on, sir. I, I don't need to interrupt you because I talked no, no. probably too long as it was, but I, I love that comment because I do agree with that completely. Um, like one of the things when I talked to Alejandro about his $7,000 movie yeah. um, that he made uh, Monday, that he made with um, the Rebel Without a Crew TV series and the help of uh, Robert Rodriguez's show, That's which right. is so cool. I wish they would do it again because um, I think all of the filmmakers there got to learn something and they all got to make their features and um alejandro i talked to him about the process and like he he valued um sound actually over uh the visual 
but he still he's able to get like a really solid visual even though he's he knows that sound is so important and it 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 can easily break the reality of a film even easier than a bad visual uh proof in point look at stupid freaking what the heck's that movie called that i don't like skinnamary um (laughs) like that movie he, but that movie d- isn't really concerned about the quality of the image or this quality of the sound effects, if you ask me. But nevertheless, um, that to me, like, I can forgive a like fuzzy camera or something because, especially if you're shooting low light, which some of the scenes in this movie are shot in very low lighting. Yes, I am, um, yeah. And it, it appears to be kind of like using the natural or ambient light in the space rather than like having a, an expensive lighting crew because that again that re- increases your budget fast and the score the soundtrack for this movie definitely probably costs a good chunk of the budget because there's some good music in this it's not there's just, some good needle drops in there yeah it's not just original stuff and you have to pay licensing for all that and uh it, kevin smith has even revealed sometimes you can really finagle and work some good deals with that it all depends on the artists and their willingness to work with other artists yeah but I, I would venture to say he put a lot into sound too. And those two things, it does not feel like a $50,000 movie. And it, that shouldn't be a, a derogatory. Um, it has become one, but it, it, this is, it's a throwback to those early Sundance indies though. When you get the, the El, you know, El Mariachi or Pulp Fiction, well, mm-hmm. Reservoir Dogs, sorry, more so than Pulp Fiction. Clerks, you know, where I think Clerks was 60, 67,000 or something like that. Um, it, it's a throwback to that, which is great because he sets it in the '90s, so it even has the vibe of those movies. But it, the whole process, I feel like he's kind of he's walking in in Rodriguez's shoes to a degree by doing the seven thousand dollar movie and then doing this fifty thousand dollar movie. Mm-hmm. You're seeing these old school Sundance indie films because uh, now when we say indie films, we're like five million dollar budgets, yeah, right? Indie like that's films not what it what it used to be, is it? Yeah, it well, it's just it's such a broad term because when we say indie, we mean not the big five studios. And there's not many of those studios in the middle range, right? Like there's A24 and uh, Focus is owned by somebody else and Sony Classics. Yeah, is IFC and stuff. stuff like that. Yeah. yeah but um, this is true indie. There's no studio backing this. Yeah. This is you know self-funded or well, crowdfunded. And um, but a throwback in all the regards. But sorry, I, I agree. I think it looks great. There's some really good shots. Even in the trailer, you see some of these fantastic uh, camera shots and coverage too. Like, cause that's the other thing there, this movie has tons of coverage. Like there's cool cuts. There's cool editing. Um, a character like comes out of a garage and like the way it, it sh- like it's supposed <laughs> to feel like, is it a monster or not? Because we're not really sure what's going on right now. And like, it cuts to a close up of like uh barbecue tongs. And it's just, it's not stuff you would see in a lot of indie films where they took the time to get all those shots. You know, a lot of times indie films are set the camera, film the sequence, go to the next sequence, you know? Yeah. And, that's understandable because again, it's budget and time, but when, when you're prepared and you have a vision in mind and you can execute it, I mean, I think he crushes it. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, I think it looks very good. And, 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 and like I say, I've seen films made with low budget before and the limitations are there to see, let's say, even if it's got a good story, there are things that take you out of the, that take you out of the immersion, which are out of the control of the filmmaker sometimes, but I generally mm-hmm. didn't get that. The Sundance, uh, comparison is bang on here. It does feel like that. Um, I was saying we mentioned Edgar Wright. There's a lot of writisms about this in a way that the uh, there's a way that the editing is done, a way that we get some of the transitions, uh, and even and even in the use of shallow focus. Um, yes. Alejandro does enjoy a, sh- uh, a shallow focus, and I have no issue with that if it is used well. It can be overused, uh, as can other things I saw in this film. But I think we've got a very decent balance, including the the non-use of static camera. 
again a limitation mm-hmm. sometimes is you you put the camera on the tripod and it's static because it's easier cheaper quicker what it, you know insert adjective here to film whereas here the camera the way the camera moved was uh, what i enjoy sometimes sometimes you could tell it was that nice handheld little bit of shake to it and i enjoyed that uh, other times it was static but it was the framing the you know a lot of shots were framed probably quite hard shots to get as well mm-hmm. shots in a car shots in a bathroom uh, oh, even shots the mirror in, yeah in the mirror exactly or, or shots uh, against a payphone window i mean that felt quaint damn that made me feel old somebody picked up a, a payphone and you yes your little things like that jb and th- they also captured the the feeling of the kind of odd feeling that was around things i remember y2k almost said y2j then y2k i remember that very well and the idea that planes were going to fall out of the sky and your electrics were going to blow up uh, burning the house down everyone was going to die and it, it was the weirdest thing because in the end of the day all it did was you know the, the clocks changed that was it, pretty much it but everyone thought people thought that a the computer in a plane which reset itself to 1900 which would then somehow make the plane think hold on i have i don't exist and it was meant it was madness um mm-hmm. hearing up the hearing the, the dial-up modem was a delight as well uh that that hit me right in the feels even the um, joke because he lets it he lets it just sit there with the uh the dial-up and you're just like yep that's, that's how what it was. i mean sometimes the camera is just left to linger and i enjoyed that and then it's up to the performers then to sell that to keep keep you invested because you are just looking at this big old um big old uh apple iMac computer the old ones of the with the colorful backs nice blue one and two characters they've got to sell that and i think i think they do the dialogue is sharp and witty at times it did run the risk to me of getting a bit too um clever or we'd get like we'd get like a you know the camera would zoom into someone's face they'd look at they'd almost look just past the camera and give a one-liner towards the middle i did start to worry we were going to get into that territory too much however it stopped at that point and it felt and it started to go back into its more natural flow uh, and films like this can sometimes feel unnatural. And I'm not going to say that every single line uttered was was great mm. or perfectly written, because sometimes it did feel a bit unnatural uh, or a bit over, you know, a bit acted. And some of the pop culture references were there, you know, maybe can, sometimes you can pull back on one or two of those. But mm. overall, though, I, I really enjoyed the back and forth between our two characters. I enjoyed the way the film looked, like I said. I think the original score... Um, music i think i saw it's done by a band called please and i enjoyed it i enjoyed that kind of indie alt rock styling because it fit the role very well uh fit the film very well but overall jb no i think it's a really decent 90 minute film which captures a lot of a lot of um feels for one but we go through a gamut of emotions we get to laugh at times we get to cringe at times we get to mm-hmm. we, we get to see anger we get to see restrained fury and we get to see expressed fury as well throughout this film. There's a great scene, uh, there's a great argument scene when it kind of feels like you know two characters finally just erupt. They finally let what they let their feelings out for better or worse. And I think the film actually needed that as well because at time where we were going with the narrative of the of the characters, I, I cared a little bit more about one character's struggles than one of the other ones. I felt one of them felt a little bit more real. But they, but I think. All, all roads leading to this kind of major bust up or major truth telling session. I think that really, really helped actually because it allowed, it allowed us to feel where both characters were, where their heads were, where their, 
where their uh, fears were, where their gr- trauma lay, where their worries were. And I think we needed that to then set up the rest of the film. And uh, it ends very nicely. Uh, I, I enjoyed that. I like after this kind of major argument, there is an almost relative quiet, which comes with it. I think that's very good filmmaking to have the, you have your explosion, then you almost have a little bit of time to sit with it. Uh, but no, I, I, I enjoyed this film an awful lot, JB. I do honestly, and I'll say it hand on heart, genuinely think it's an extremely solid film. I do believe people should go out and check it out. I will say it one more time. I am not in the game to lie. I'm not in the game to make up good reviews f- and for what, you know, a pat on the back from who. I enjoyed this film. I think this film was very good. I think Alejandro and the guys did very well. Katie Aaron was very good as a lead. I enjoyed Marco Lovato. A few stumbles along the way, notwithstanding, in terms of some of the dialogue. I think the film mm. looked impre- very impressive given the budget. And I don't think it, like you said, like we both said, I don't think it's derogatory to mention the budget and to praise the the way that the budget was utilised because 50, like it's 50 grand is, in terms of film, it's a, some people buy a camera for 50 grand and that is mm-hmm. it. Here you've got to make your entire film and it's not just, you know, a film isn't just one hour and a half and then it's done. It is weeks and weeks and weeks, sometimes months of, of, of planning, of scouting, of casting, of paying people, of feeding people, of, of all that stuff. I generally think this is an extremely good uh, film and I really do hope more people get to look watch it, John. If we can help even 5, 10, 15 people watch this film and check it out. I'd like to see what Alejandro does next, uh, yeah, given the too. opportunity. And hey, look, maybe that 50 grand budget will go up to 100 grand. And then before we know it, we've got a t- he's got a $10 million budget on his hands. But genuinely, go check out this film, especially if you like, um, especially if you like indie coming-of-age drama films, which feel bigger than they have any right to. So yeah, I really enjoyed it, John, genuinely. And that is our review of Millennium Bugs. Again, that should be out on February 7th on iTunes. Maybe some of the other uh, VOD platforms, but definitely on iTunes. Um, mm-hmm. Remember, you don't have to have an iPhone or uh, an iPad to use iTunes to rent movies. I don't even know if it's still called iTunes. Um, I, I think, think they it- phased it out. I think it's now like Apple Movies or something like that. Um, even iTunes feels quaint, John. Yeah. So, so, but but it's the Apple market where you can. But not that sounds yes. weird. It's Apple where you can Store. buy digital content from Apple. Uh, rent or buy this check it out and leave feedback because again the more people that talk about this movie the more people are going to get to see it if you don't like it of course you can also say that that's not me saying like if you like it like but you know if if you enjoy this tell other people again i think if you like clerks if you like movies set in the 90s this one Mm -hmm. is probably going to be your cup of tea this Um, has got a clerks feel to it as well with i'm assuming it's deliberate at times of course there are some very very kind of deliberate nods without feeling like it's patting you on the back and saying, Hey, look what we're yes. doing here. It felt, it was very, it was very kind of subtle, unsubtle nod, but I enjoyed. I agree. That's our review folks. Um, I think we'll be saying this is fresh. Yes, sir. And that will lead us uh, to our next segment, which is chuffed headlines. This is movie or pop culture news that caught our attention over the week since we last recorded Matt, uh, yours makes sense, given our last week's topics. Uh, what is your headline? Yes, sir, John. After last week when we went through the Oscar nominations for 2023 and some of the surprises to us, some of the surprises to the masses, uh, none more so to the outrage of the internet, John. Outrage. Some, some of it I understand. But outrage nonetheless that uh, Andrea Riseborough was nominated for her performance uh, in to Leslie uh, in the best actress role, 
the Oscars uh, late last week said that they were going to be looking into the campaign that she uh that 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 took place shall we say whether or not she was behind it i don't know but her management the campaign that took place online involving many a-listers who were championing the film very late on in the process and putting on screenings and saying what it was the greatest performance of all time the academy were looking at that as if to as if to see whether it broke any rules was was there any campaigning rules broken by this free campaign online um and uh, lots of people again online have been having their say. A lot of people think Andrea Riseborough's uh, nomination came at the expense of um, of black actresses, Danielle Delweiler, Viola Davis. Others others say, well, we don't know who was in the sixth and fifth, six, seven, sorry, sixth and seventh places. It could have been it could have been Mia Goth for all we know. However, the precedent w- was set with this new way of campaigning and. The Oscars have now said, the Academy have now said they're not going to be taking any punitive action in response to the divisive campaign, their words, not mine, for Andrea Riceborough. This came from Scott Feinberg over at The Hollywood Reporter. Um, and they're, they're saying, and I quote, the CEO of the Academy, Bill Kramer, said, The Academy has determined the activity in question does not rise to the level that the film's nomination should be rescinded. He added, however... We did discover social media and outreach campaigning tactics that caused concern. These tactics are being addressed with responsible parties directly. So, in a nutshell, they're not rescinding the nomination. However, they think there is a few things wrong with this, or they don't maybe agree with the ethics behind it. It's a funny one, John. And I know we mentioned it last week. It's a funny one because studios pump millions of dollars. We know that in into pushing their talent into pushing their films they spend millions of dollars on what the chance to get their talent's name on a ballot whereas andre andre roisborough's team had this unconventional grassroots idea to just you know ask ask her friends to campaign on her behalf now the fact that they whether they saw the film or not was not in question because they had you know they were hosting these parties but it was more about the fact that were the a lot, a lot of people take uh, umbrage with lots of very white A-listers were pushing as very white actress at the at the expense of certainly Viola Davis and Danielle Deadweiler because one prominent um, I think Academy voter said that they were shoo-ins. I can't remember her name. They said those two are lock-ins, so don't worry about them. They're going to be fine. Danielle and Viola. Look at Andrea Riceborough. Let's get her a nomination and you know. It wasn't right to say that those two actors were lock-ins when nobody knows that they were as well. And to then essentially push them out was wrong. Mm. It's poor form and it's not a good look. But I've seen two Leslie. Andrea Riceborough is fantastic. But um, I think for me, John, they were never, ever going to rescind Andrea Riceborough's yeah. nomination. They might, I, the, what, what I actually expected them to do was similar to what they've done, but maybe a bit more transparent. I expected them to say... The nomination stands. However, from next year, these are the rules. We're changing the rules so it doesn't happen again or, or whatever it is they want to say. Whereas they've kind of said, you know, some of the campaigning wasn't it wasn't up to our processes. So we're looking at that, but we're going to keep it as it is. I think it would have been even more of an app, even more of a uh, of a drama and of a fuss if they did take her out. Because then what do they do then? The pre- I believe the rules are if you remove someone, you can't replace them. 
So it would have yeah. only been four nominations and nobody else would have taken the, her place anyway. And also at the same time, Danielle Deadweiler, Viola Davis, or looking further out, someone like Amir Goth, do you think they would want to come in and be like, uh, and give, be given a late nomination and which is almost not necessarily a sympathy vote, but a kind of, it, it, you know, well, it's like being awarded the medal. Call it that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like being awarded the medal after someone's had to be disqualified. It's like, well, I, I finished fourth or wherever it is. I don't really deserve the bronze medal or, or, or they may feel like they don't deserve. The problem is all of those, nom- those performances I mentioned, Danielle Viola and Mia Gothic are all fantastic. Uh, so they all deserve to be there, but can only have five, which is a problem. Um, so I'm not surprised by this, John. I'm not surprised that they didn't rescind it. I'm not surprised that they've said, oh, we found a few irregularities here. Uh, you know, and I'm not here to debate who should have and shouldn't have been in there. I think there are other people within that best actress lineup who could have been swapped out for two of the three that I've just mentioned. But then the end of the day, the five nominations are out. I can't change them. Nobody else can change them. These are our nominations. And at the end of the day, if you liked the other, uh, other people's performances better, it doesn't change a thing. Does it JB? So you hear this news. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Did you expect any more action taken or was this to be expected? Um, no, I think we will see this change like in the future, how they let people, obviously that's what they're threatening at least, that they will uh, be more mindful of like how people campaign for their nominations. Um, it's wild because this reminds me of like a high school homecoming like thing because they're not supposed to campaign for like homecoming king and queen. But we know that they do because you can't control that kind of stuff. You can't control like social media. Like we can stop them from putting posters up at the school. We can stop them, you know, but they have friends. They have, you know, obviously Andrea Riceborough has connections and she has people who wanted to root for her and they made sure she got nominated for the homecoming court. You know, I don't, there's one thing I realized about this process that I've never really thought to ask, but like, we know who the five nominations are right now. Do they re-vote with from this five to pick the winner, or is the winner already chosen from the initial voting? Uh, they now now that now that the vote, my understanding, and I believe is that these are these are the five now who are put forward. So you, they have to now re-vote okay. on the on, on every category, specifically this category. So there's not nothing to say that Andrea Riseborough she can win this because she's in there. It's not a foregone conclusion that michelle yo or kate blanchett could win some of these academy voters who maybe hadn't seen too leslie may watch it and think actually yeah i i what i'm going to pick her and to be fair the academy does like drama john yeah i mean it, it we're talking about it again right like we have what a month still before we see yeah. the oscars yeah. um and yet here we are the second or third week in a row that we're talking about this um yeah obviously the drama helps people, you know, we're no, what's the, the no publicity is bad publicity. Um, so here Mm -hmm. it is proof in the pudding. Yep. So there we go. Um, my headline for this week, uh, is gonna, I'm going to nitpick poor Robert Zemeckis, man. Um, a guy who's made some of my favorite movies. I adore, who framed Roger Rabbit. And I love the back to the future trilogy. I am a huge fan of the entire trilogy, even saying the third one being my favorite. I love all three though. Um, And I like many other Zemeckis films, but we've known for the last 20 years now that he gets obsessive over technology and is willing to sacrifice a lot of other elements of filmmaking to, to explore uh, 
techniques, right? Like we've seen him obsess over the motion capture stuff. Uh, he's he's he won't let it go because we even brought it back with Marwin and he brought it back with Pinocchio um, or something. I don't exactly know how he did the Pinocchio stuff, but I believe there was some motion <laughs> capture there. Yes. Well, he's he's latched onto a new technology, and it's this trend with de aging, but specifically with AI de aging. Um, apparently, on America's Got Talent, uh, metaphysics was um, they did something on America's Got Talent where they showed their de aging technology, and Zemeckis got excited about it. And for his <laughs> new film, which is an adaptation of Richard McGuire's book, I assume here, I don't know anything about it. Uh, but it's going to star Tom Hanks and Robin Wright and other people. And apparently everyone's going to be de-aged by AI. Um, I, I am not super familiar with metaphysics. Uh, mm-hmm. I have, I mean, the, the de-aging tech has been debated for a minute now. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot, I mean, movies have had younger care. I mean, De Niro and, uh, oh man. I, why why does this happen which film are you thinking of the Irishman? godfather godfather 2 that well that de niro it plays the younger version of uh don corleone right yes uh, marlon brando marlon brando God. um they don't look alike to me mm-hmm. when i look at mm-hmm. robert de niro mm-hmm. look, look and at looper as well look at looper yeah yeah uh joseph gordon levitt bruce willis yep nope nothing but yeah. do you do you understand it yes Yes, we do, because that's that's movies. So there's plenty of evidence throughout the history of film that we don't need the same actor to play the younger version of themselves, nor do we need to make them look younger in order for us to get it. Um, and then, of course, there's even an example recently from Little Women where Florence Pugh plays the younger version of herself that in the original stories doesn't work because she's way younger than Florence Pugh is at the young parts of that character. But you know what? I was fine with it because uh, Florence Pugh is a terrific actress and I was okay with her being in the movie more. You know what I'm saying? So like, I don't think we need the de-aging tech in some cases. I think it's been powerful. I think it was fine when they did it with Iron Man and what was it? Uh, civil war, not civil war. Uh, Infinity no, it war. was civil war. Uh, civil, that's when yes, he, it was. Cause they did it when he was his name as well. Yeah. And they've done it a few times now. And obviously, as you mentioned, The Irishman is like the, one of the most expensive Netflix movies of all time because of all of the de-aging tech. And I think the uh, criticism of that was you can make the face look younger, but he still <laughs> moves like an old man because yeah. he's an old man. Like, you can tell it's not a young version of him. And that's, yeah. you know, are we going to have that same problem here? Probably. And again, Zemeckis has put technology over quality too many times now for us to be excited about this. Honestly, when I saw it was Robin Wright and Tom Hanks, I was like, are we getting Forrest Gump too now? Are they going to de-age them that much? Like what is, what's going on? Um, but that's not the case. I don't know anything about here. So I, it's not like a, I want here to be great. I don't, I'm not like a, a fan of the book or anything. Oh, it's a graphic novel. I just, I'm scrolling through the article. Like I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, here it is. But, I, I didn't even need to read the article to know I needed to talk about this because it's like, <laughs> yeah. Robert Zemeckis, please, guy, I know you can make I, – I want to believe that those early movies were not the flukes, that these later movies are just a symbol of you focusing on the wrong part of filmmaking, uh, similar to Ang Lee, who has now fixated on the high frame rate stuff. Um, like – you guys can make, and it's it's your life. Make whatever movies you want. You've, you've obviously Zemeckis isn't hurting for money. He's got his his nice. big movies out there. 
at least I don't, I don't know that for a fact. Obviously I'm just assuming that he's still making tons of royalties off of back to the future since he owns all of the rights to those, him and uh, Bob Gale own all the rights to those movies. Um, but you know, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not hyped for this. Um, again, even if it were another filmmaker, I think I'd be like, Oh, another de-aging thing. But because it's Zemeckis, I'm all the more apprehensive about this. Uh, what do you think, Matt? What are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, not a million miles different from yourself. Zemeckis and his over overuse, over reliance on technology, on style over substance for me in recent years has been damaging to to his reputation for me. Now we'll always have the classics that he gave us many a few decades ago. Now they'll always be there, but I I think his use of the technology has hindered his storytelling for me. I think there is an over reliance on it. So when I see that. You're going to take two fantastic actors in in Tom Hanks and Robin Wright and yeah. use a de-aging technology. I worry. However, in this instance, I'm not as worried because by the sounds of it, the two actors are going to be playing younger versions of themselves as well. Now, would I? we watched a film recently called A Man Called Otto, where Tom Hanks had somebody playing a younger version of himself. Yep. His own kid, his own son, Chet. Um so you know, they could have gone down that route. Maybe that would have been, like you were saying, maybe that would have been a little bit better. Would it have been a a dead-on replica or clone of a younger self? Maybe not. But it, that's that again. That then comes down to the performance of whoever you get and the casting of who you get to play the younger versions of your lead actors. We've seen some good de aging. Um, in I mean, listen, this was this this was a two-second shot in a trailer, but I think Harrison Ford in the new indie film that de aging looked spot on. Mm. The use of the deep fake, the the Mando, sorry, the book of Boba Fett. <laughs> it was space, Mando two point five. The use of Luke Skywalker there facially, it, yeah. it just knocked me on the floor. The voice is what they need to get right. They need to add some soul to those voices. The difference being though, well, maybe it won't be. The difference is they didn't use Mark Hamill's voice. They used well, they used a respeak to an, an electronic. Uh, they used software to recreate his voice. Mark Hamill's still alive, but they went down that route. Tom Hanks and Robin Wright are clearly still alive because they're in the film. Now, do they alter their own voices or do they get, you know, voice actors in to come in? What are they? That's what I'm more interested in because they, they're getting better with the eyes, but it's to, it's to mouth movements and making it not feel like a video game cutscene, which is a problem. That's what I worry about now. Deep fake. I know there's also been an awful lot of controversy about deep fake in the adult adult movie industry this week um and how potentially that very damaged we've mentioned this before that you know you could get john burke's face or my face or anyone and put it anywhere you want in any any situation or any any event or or whatever scenario and you could put you could do it and you can and it's happening and it's very 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 bad uh, worrying um the the reach that this technology has however Keeping it on on film when used correctly, I think it can be a powerful tool. Not necessarily always too keen on using it to bring back actors who are no longer with us. I do think there's an ethical mm-hmm. and a moral uh, quandary there to jump through, even if the family gives you their permission. Yeah, and I think I think we've said before we're going to get to a point now where you know sadly actors will pass away, and in their will it will say whether or not you can have your likeness used. We're going to get to that point now. Um, but in this instance, I kind of really got, kind of wish they just got younger actors to play them. JB, I don't know. Again, I don't know the story, so I don't know if it's same. If yeah. it's then when it's ten years ago or five years ago, where maybe it's not quite as uh, practical to do that. But if it's then when they're in their teens and twenties and thirties, 
just get younger actors. I can't knock yeah. the Mekis for wanting to use technology and further technology because, you know, I'd be hypocritical when I look at someone like George Lucas and worship at his altar of what he gave cinema, what he gave film in terms of technological advancements in visually and sound and and filmmaking. So Zinemeckis is just playing with a new tool. He's playing with the deep fake technology. Hey, look, if he does it well, well, we'll sit here and say, wow, did you see that looked like I was watching Tom Hanks in, in big or something like that. You know, that if they get it right, but there's always that uncanny thing, isn't there, John? Is it the uncanny Valley? There's always that thing where we know yeah. we're not watching Tom Hanks from 30 years or Robin Wright from 30. So they've got well, to get over that. Now, mm-hmm. in this instance, I'm not as worried as I would be. Had it been like an AI film or similar to his other films, and I would have just, I probably would have just thrown this in the bin, but because we're actually going to get actual performances out of the actors mixed in with some deep fake, if he can direct them well and make them feel like younger versions of themselves and they can do a job, then job well done. But because of the last few Zemeckis films, I come into this with anxiety, with a little bit of apprehension, JB, but an open mind nonetheless. Yeah. Again, I'm, I'm always hopeful because again, I do think Zemeckis is a, I feel like he's a capable filmmaker. I, I have a, a friend who would say otherwise, but um, <laughs> that it was like a fluke that his early stuff was good. And, and Maybe. it only shows, but um, that my fear is that he will sacrifice story for tech. And that seems to have been the trend. Um, not true with polar express necessarily, but I think of those three that he's like full uh, stop motion or uh, sorry, motion capture. Yep. I wish it was stop motion. Uh, the motion capture stuff. Um, he seems to be willing to, he's, he's more concerned with using the tech in, in fun and interesting ways at the cost of the story or at the cost of the experience. And yes, that's yes. my concern. Yeah. Same here, JB. Hopefully that won't happen in the film here, H E R E, but there is yeah. always that hesitation, man. Well, that is uh, our headlines for the week. Let's go to media consumption. This is movies, TV, video games, music, podcast, not ours or Anything else we use to pass the time between recordings, the media that we consume. Matt, what have you been consuming since the last time we recorded? It's been my, my John. My, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to keep you long on this one, John. Um, I was supposed to watch Missing last night um, oh. with a an unlimited screening, but I couldn't make it because I wasn't feeling very well. Um, oh, no. I had a, a, another deadly migraine. I thought, I can't. I, and I was so bummed out because at the unlimited screening, it's uh, with the unlimited card we get over here they put on early screenings of films and this one was missing, which I hadn't got. I didn't get the email about. So I saw it a few days back. The, the, when I, I go, sometimes I go onto the cinema world website and see what I can pre-order my tickets for in advance. And I saw missing. I thought, hot oh, damn, I'm all over this. So I, I booked it, but I couldn't, I unfortunately couldn't get to see it, which is a, which is a shame because that would have been a boss film to cover in the next few weeks. But alas, I will um, keep my eyes out for another showing coming forward, or I'll just hassle the studio uh, for it now that I've now that I almost saw it I'll use that against them um so I haven't actually watched any films this week John there is a reason for that other than Millennium Bugs uh before that I listened to the Happy Sad Confused podcast where Josh Horowitz interviewed Bella Ramsey of Game of Thrones and of course The Last of Us fame uh, and that was a fun interview uh listening to um obviously Bella's experiences working on The Last of Us with the working with the cast the crew the actors um her experience of what she brought to the role of ellie compared and how she worked with ashley johnson who was the mocap and voice of the video game adaptation of ellie 
and her thoughts on the announcement that they were getting a season two now. Now, we always knew, well, I say we, it, it was always a given, I think, from what we've heard from Naughty Dog and the inside rumblings that this was going to get a second season. They just needed to get that, almost that validation after the first few episodes that people wanted it. However, part two of the game, The Last of Us Part 2, is massive. It is an absolute monster. There's no way in a million years of Sundays or a million episodes of the BAMP can they cover The Last of Us Part 2 in one season of nine episodes. So I expect them to have to be announcing a season three quite not long after that season premieres. But The Last of Us is very relevant, John, because that's all I've been watching this week. The Last of Us episode three to nine, because my buddy Bespin, bulletin uh, um, his alias that is asked he's a big fan of the last of us and he asked a few weeks ago if i'd be up for talking about the episodes and dropping a weekly release mm. of a uh, review of the episodes because as i mentioned we were lucky i was very lucky to get from hbo and sky uh, advanced link screening links so i've seen all nine and i've still got them for the next four days as of recording so we said i said yeah of course However, I don't really don't really want to do nine and don't want to do nine weeks of this. I mean, everyone's busy, so we decided let's truncate it into like two and a half, three weeks. So every two or three days, we'll watch an episode, we record, and then it's in the bag, and then it's done with. Then, so I've been watching episodes three through nine and recording these episodes in amongst mm. doing Star Wars sessions, in amongst getting ready for the BAMP and work and that. So no films for me this week though, JP. Though I have bought some today. I bought um, Requiem for a Dream. I got that from the local, not quite nice. dollar store, but give or take. Um, this one's going to surprise you because it surprised me, John. But you know what it's like to be a completionist, even in the face of um, reason. I've got Halloween Kills. It was like two pounds, which is what? Three bucks. I was like, you know, I've got the first Halloween at 2018. This is the extended cut. So I, Evil's going to die for a bit longer tonight. Uh, but I had to get it to go with the, the collection. It, you know, David Gordon Green's first Halloween looked a bit lonely up there. Uh, I'm sorry, I got Requiem for a Dream. Uh, I think that's the, only, that's the only two I got today. I, I was going to get a few more, but I thought I'd save the pounds. But I've literally just been watching The Last of Us, John. Now, I will throw this back over to you as well, because episode three came out of The Last of Us. That's the latest one. I said in my review, and I think I might have got told off by HBO for it. Um, I know that, so that was for something else. But I said in my review that, you know, I really think The Last of Us is, is prestige television, is top tier. Mm. Few, I get a few issues notwithstanding I think we could have done with one or two more episodes just wait and see but I put in my review episode 3 was spectacular So episode 3 was you know monumentally good for, uh, television to the mm-hmm. point where it is actually eligible for a, to be a feature film um, and I couldn't wait for John to watch this I know we, you said you'd watched episodes 1 and 2 and we're digging it I couldn't wait for you to watch episode three because I know you and your sensibilities and your your taste for for good television, for good storytelling, for good uh, romance, for good for good everything. This mm-hmm. this episode had it in spades. I've seen it three times now, and every time this episode gets me, Nick Offerman and Murray Bartlett are out of this world good. And to the people who say that episode three doesn't play a part in the story, it was filler. Oh, we don't. What do we need this stuff for? Firstly. Check it. Uh, leave it at the door because you yeah. know where you're coming from with that rubbish. You can review bomb all you want. People love this episode. This episode, and it's not. This is. This isn't any spoiler for the rest of the season. It's a spoiler for episode three. This episode means everything to the season. It does. It Big really. Time. Without this episode, 
the relationship between Joel and Ellie does not solidify. They do not get closer. They, things do not happen because of this. I'm, I, you know, I think I want to hear what you thought, but I thought this, I thought episode three was, this is some without rhetoric, without any BS. This is one of the best episodes of television I have ever seen because of the writing, the performances, the structure, the pacing, the emotion within it. It blew me away. John, is this where you're going to tell me you thought it was filler and you hated it? <laughs> no, uh, I completely agree with you. I've used that same same expression. This might be one of the best episodes of TV ever. Um, and I, I say that as a big fan of the video game. I say that as a uh, increasingly big fan of Pedro Pascal. I, I love him. But did you I, expect I an episode like this in The Last of Us? Like you, you, you expect infected? You expect a bit of horror? Maybe some? T- did you expect them to drop an episode? I as mean, profound as this. I don't know for sure that I want to say I did, but I, I don't, I hold those games in such high regard because of the characters. Like I do find the, the tension and the, um, the suspense and the monster. I think the creature design in last of us is amazing. I think the look of those creatures is both terrifying, but, uh, maybe it's terrifying because it, it feels grounded in a lot of ways, more so than some other zombie type games. Um, but it is the characters. It's Joel and Ellie that brought me back to Last of Us Two. Like I was so hyped for Last of Us Two, and why it that was one of the games that I I finally caved and bought a PlayStation. I had been an Xbox exclusive for most of the time uh, that PS3 was a thing. I came in at the very end of PS3 when I bought it. I knew I was going to play Uncharted. I knew I was going to play God of War. But I finally caved because I saw Last of Us. I'm like, that looks like the game I've been waiting for. Um, and it was why I immediately jumped into PS4 because I knew we were probably going to get a sequel. Um, and I, I was one of the early supporters of that, that the sequel got a lot of the same type of hate that you're seeing for episode three for a lot of the same reasons. Realistically. I loved that game. Me too. I, and I, I find Ellie in that whole world. I just think the world building of the last of us is incredible. And where I think so many fans in many of the adaptations of video games that we, um, are worried is that they'll fail to give us that same experience and where this show is proving that you can do it well is one you don't have to recreate it exactly for us the fans to be happy you need to have a sense of the tone you need to have a sense of what the game is about and the themes and find ways to make it original which is what i love so much about episode three um to be fair as much as i love the game I played it when it came out. I don't remember everything. I remember my feelings. I remember my love of the game. I don't remember every single character. I don't remember every single plot beat. I remember things that freaked me out or things that like stood out as I played, but I had to look up bill. I didn't remember exactly what bill did in the game. Cause I wasn't, I knew it wasn't exactly the same in the episode, but I was like, am I not remembering this or do I just not remember everything and it was a combination i remember character but what they do here is incredible storytelling and the fact that it doesn't feel like a side thing or an adjacent thing or something that they've crammed into an otherwise ip that we are familiar with is they get what was necessary um we've had a few changes but i think all those changes have worked i don't necessarily think they're better or worse I do think what they did with Bill is better, but like some of the other changes that I won't get into specifics, I I don't know if they're better or worse in the game, but they're cool changes that I love. It it gives me hope that this won't just be a rehash of the game, right? Like, cause we already have the game. 
yeah, yeah. I, I want to have the same experience. You've got to adapt haven't you? You have to adapt yeah. it. You can't... In a game, you're playing it, you're controlling the narrative, you have gameplay mechanics that just exist because video games. You can't do that yes. in a TV show, so you have to change it up. And and finding ways to do that without it feeling like a betrayal is hard, and that's why I think so many video game ad- adaptations either don't work or work because they let like sonic only works because they they're not trying to be the games right like you're you're not getting the story the same way you get it in the games this works both ways you are getting the elements from the story that are necessary but they are they're they're adapting it as a a a movie or a show um and it works so well this episode is fantastic uh obviously i watched this as well um i i wasn't sure what to expect. You kind of had hyped this up. And then I saw David Ehrlich hype it up. Big Tuna, who doesn't always agree with Ehrlich, sent me Ehrlich's review and was like, <laughs> I completely agree with this. I'm like, wow, okay, what am I getting into? And then when I watched the episode, it wasn't what I was expecting. Yeah, it was far, it. far better, though, in a lot of ways than what my brain was thinking it must be. Um, and the emotional and- aspects of the game in terms of the character's sexuality, that's in the game. This isn't. This isn't some you know the woke of us so they've gone what no you know again leave uh, just leave that alone just get lost i've managed to avoid seeing a lot of that stuff i don't know i oh, haven't looked at like boy. reviews i have I've, managed to not I've see seen that some. i know I it's out I there at the hashtag i looked at a hashtag and it was I'm like come on guys it also made me it, it, it helped me with my blocking spree i knew how to to block but um all, the, all this stuff and all this um all of the all, everything's in the game it's, it's there all they're doing is taking what they did in the game in 2013 and were maybe a bit hesitant to build upon because reasons back then. And they've decided, no, you know, with the left behind DLC with the part last of us part two, they've shown they can handle their gay characters with confidence and, and with some very good writing. And they've done the same here. And I think that should be, it shouldn't be applauded because again, it should be natural, normal, but it's a, it's a very bold swing. I think to deviate. So, so, um, definitely from the main, narrative to give us this episode but it all it all it all plays in man to not because this is not a review of this show but to uh (laughs) to um point out though like you were saying if 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 the criticisms that this is a deviation from the main story and an unnecessary episode something that tv has always done mind you like that's an (laughs) important thing to note like to note excuse me not to note i don't know what that is to note that tv has always had these kind of deviation episodes and sometimes they work really really well and sometimes they don't. Let's be real. The best part of the book of Boba Fett were the deviations with Mandalorian. <laughs> like those yes. were the best episodes. But here, the deviation isn't like let's pause the plot and then go watch something else. This is let's make sure the plot makes sense. We need to motivate the characters in a way that will have a lasting impact and that the audience will understand and see parallels. And that would, I think I obviously I haven't seen the last six episodes, so they could drop mm-hmm. the ball from here. But from what I've heard, this is a really important like keystone to the plot working. Yep. And I, I get that. And that's what the only thing for me now is like, if they don't live up to what I see happening, I'll be disappointed. But if it does, this series is going to be one of my favorite TV series of all time. And I hope that happens hope. because it's one of my favorite video games of all time. Let's hope John, uh, I will leave you to continue. Now, all I will say is nearly 31,000 people have given this a one star rating on IMDb. Well, that's insane. I would love I don't know to why see, that would be. I would really love to see uh, a red dead redemption 
TV series because that's one of my other favorite video games. Huge. Like I don't care which game you can go one or two. I'm in. Um, love those games, and I, I like that's a true. western. So let's get you know Dead yeah, would work. Let's make Red Red Dead Redemption uh, the series HBO. Um, anyways, that's all for you. That which is a lot of TV, mind you. But um, what podcast can uh, people episodes. listen to? It was uh, the, it's called Clickercast, the Last of Us podcast. It's on my main feed. It's just uh, <clears throat> excuse me, it comes out every Monday. It dry, it's a spoiler episode as well, so you haven't seen the episode. It's a spoiler episode, and and the episodes don't generally go on for any longer than the actual television episode series runtime does. So you're looking at a kind of 45, 50, 60 minutes tops. I'm hyped to, to jump into my consumption this week. So I, we as go. always, uh, Blank Check is covering Danny Boyle. That We got Train Spotting, which is like the – I mean, yes. that's the reason we're talking about Danny Boyle, right? Because that movie is yeah. a success. Um, I'm a big fan of it. It's a really good episode. <laughs> Highly recommend Choose you listen life. to it. Choose life, indeed. Uh, so um, I watched The Last of Us. Uh, I'm going to stay with TV for a second. I finally jumped in, Matt. I watched Andor episodes one and two uh, oh, the other night. So you did. Um, I didn't see it on your list. Yeah, I, I kind of blended it in with The Last of Us. Uh, um, obviously, you've been recommending it. Uh, my my editor for Burke Reviews, David, he just finally finished the series. It was raving about it. I've heard good things all over the place. Um, everyone's wrong. No, it's actually I, – I <laughs> immediately – I, I got to say the thing that I like the most, I just like the look of the show. Like it looks mm-hmm. real good and all practical all on set. No volume. It's noticeable, right? Like it's so noticeable. Nice. I'm really vibing the feel of the show so far. Um, no, I've only watched the first two episodes and then I've been busy uh, the rest of the week. So I've not been able to go back to it, but I plan to. Um, that's one very of the- interesting, John, because I'm sorry. Again, I keep interrupting you like an English. No, no. Only because of the passion. That's very interesting because over on sessions, Luke, my, myself, my co-host, when we saw it, we, again, we were lucky enough to see the first three in London. And after mm. the first two episodes, I turned to him as big Star Wars fans and said, where are we going with this? Not because they weren't good episodes, but uh, for me, that, that third episode was like, right, I get it. It ties it all up now. So I'm, so I'm going to, after this, I'm going to tell him that you watched the first two and were pleasantly surprised. But keep in mind, like, well, I like, I, I love, uh, it's Diego Luna, right? Yes, sir. I, I like him a lot anyways. Um, I, I like, I'm coming into the show with so much praise that I don't know if it's fair to use those comparisons. Cause like you guys saw it when no one else had seen it. I'm coming in with so many people I trust telling me I need to watch this. And I'm like, I have no complaints. Isn't that enough? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's nothing. I'm not <laughs> sitting here going, well, this is bad. I'm sitting here going, okay. All right. I like, I'm the taking that. I like, I like, uh, I like the droid as, um, B2 emo. He stutters. Yep. It's, it's so sweet. Like he's such a cute droid. I'm, I'm kind of, I hate that Star Wars can do that to me. Gosh, darn it. You know how much Groku stuff I still have? Like it needs to stop, (laughs) but I'm not buying any of the droid stuff, but I'm sure it's out there. Um, but yeah, uh, so I did watch the first two. I'm going to keep watching. I've played God of War Ragnarok more. I still have a lot to go. I, I've only been able to play on weekends. I've just been really busy during the week. Um, movie wise though, Last week when we re- finished recording, I jumped in my truck and I drove 45 minutes to go see Infinity Pool, um, which is wild. <laughs> yeah. I I did not see the NC-17 version. I saw the rated R version, um, which apparently the NC-17 has like full, whether or not it's a stand-in, but a full shot of, uh, and a close-up shot of Alexander Skarsgård uh, general, if you will. And um, I didn't get to see that 
I'm not complaining, but that's apparently why it's NC-17 in other markets. Ours is just rated R. Still a wild movie. Um, it wasn't as grotesque as I was anticipating because of the uh, the Cronenberg signature, which obviously David and, and is it Brandon? Brandon, yeah. Um, they're not the same, but it is interesting that uh, filmmaking style has carried over like that you know what i'm saying like Absolutely. there is a, a similarity possessor feels a lot more like a david cronenberg film Jesus. to me than doesn't he still um, makes odd films it, it runs does. in the family and i i think that's kind of fun um i like it i don't think it's a masterpiece or anything i do think it's worth checking out especially if you like horror um mia goth is is just one of my favorite actresses at this point she's just tremendous yeah, absolutely um i didn't know what her voice sounded like her real <laughs> yeah. voice until the interview you sent me and I I did not listen to the interview until after John. I saw the movie. What's that? Hello, John. Yeah. This is what well, my so voice sounds like. I'm watching the movie. Like this is a weird accent she's doing. And then I watched that interview. I'm like, Oh, that's yeah. her voice. <laughs> like, that's just it. Um, I not expect that kind of, I did not. What, what do people call like a, like a 19, like an 1800s Victorian British voice coming out of her. But the fact that she can turn on that American accent, certainly in the Thai West mm-hmm. films, so effortlessly is and differently because pearl is a different accent than than uh, maxine um anyways uh this is the movie i want to talk about matt i i i can't stop thinking about this movie it's called onyx the fortuitous and the talisman of souls um Uh i saw this at sundance it was part of their midnight series um i tuna recommended it to me i don't remember exactly if uh if it was after he saw it and Tuna's gotten very good at knowing my taste and can often pinpoint when a movie's going to like click for me. I don't think either of us expected it to click this much because I can't I can't wait to see it again. Like I generally I, I'm still thinking about lines of dialogue from this film, specifically the uh, filmmaker who is also the star and writer. Um I his performance, it's so specific it's such a character that he's created called onyx the fortuitous that is the character's name um he has a a, a instagram um both as for the movie but also i think as himself um and he does this character like apparently this was a pre-existing character i was not familiar with i was not a a built-in fan i am now um andrew uh, bowser is the filmmaker and star um this movie is a throwback to 80s horror in a lot of ways but like in the the campy like um, he, in the uh, pre-viewing screening of Sundance, he refers to uh, Gremlins and Fright Night, which I love both of those movies. But uh, yes. you also see some Beetlejuice influence here. And um, you have Barbara Crampton and um, the dude from uh, Reanimator, whose name I do not know off the top of my head, but he, the two people are in it. Uh, and then I I love School of Rock and the bass player, uh from school of rock. Uh, I don't know how to say it. if it's Rivka Reyes um, or Rivka Reyes. I'm not hundred mm-hmm. percent how to pronounce that, but she's in this and she's terrific. Uh, actually, I love the whole cast. I generally love this movie. I like, I gave it four and a half stars because I don't think it's like a masterpiece, but for me, it might be, I think I, I it's, I can't, I literally, was sitting two days after watching it, eating my breakfast and just thinking about, I had so much fun watching that movie. And I was like, <laughs> rethinking of scenes. A- and again, you said it's, it's not me. like, it's not a revolutionary, like going to change the world kind of movie. But man, if you're looking for like a funny, quirky movie with its own kind of agenda. And again, such a distinct vision, like this dude has 
such a, a oh my god I, there's so many scenes that i just crack up when i think about um and a lot of it's practical which i think also uh is great it's like again true throwback filmmaking and it's it's wonderful um, i don't know when you're gonna be able to see it i haven't found out if if it's sold or if it got distribution at sundance but honest and fortuitous and the talisman of souls uh <laughs> keep your eyes out if you like horror comedy especially um leaning towards comedy i would say it's comedy forward uh with horror being a part of it but um in that I never thought it was like scary. There's like stuff that happens, but it's more fun than scary. Um, the, also at Sundance, I saw other people's children, Whew, man, that is uh, an emotional movie. If you are a teacher or a step parent, that movie is going to resonate real hard. It's this, very powerful. Is this, this is Rebecca Lutowski, I believe the director right? Uh, from, Oh, I believe so. Yes. And I, it's the I, actress from Benedetta. Oh, is it? Oh, I really, uh, that again, that film was divisive, but I thought the performances are excellent in that. Um, I saw a film from this director a few years ago called, uh, An, An, An Easy Girl. Talking mm. of divisive films, I think, I thought that film was excellent. Um, so I'm really excited to check this out if it's anything similar to the tone of that film. I don't know if it's similar in tone because I haven't seen that one, but, uh, this one, it's, man, it's just a really, really good movie. It, it debuted at TIFF, I believe, and then was at Sundance. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, very, very good. Um, I finally watched All Quiet on the Western Front, uh, the the 2022 one that is nominated for Best Picture. The only Best Picture uh, nominee I had not seen previous to the announcement, which bummed me out because I totally went in. I'm like, I watched 180 movies in 2022. There's no <laughs> way I missed a Best Picture nominee. And I, I slept on All Quiet and I blame Netflix. Because I got four year consideration screeners for uh, Glass Onion, for White Noise, and for Pinocchio, nothing from All Quiet on the Western Front. I didn't even yeah. know I was supposed to be considering it as that. that. And I heard what, some buzz. Nine Oscar noms or 11 Oscar noms or something yeah. mad like that. What's up with that, Netflix? You didn't think you should back this movie that Are clearly you everyone's loving? tell me loving? Netflix can't market its films, John. I mean, I seem to be implying that, Matt. But, uh, <laughs> you know, no way that's possible. But, yeah. Um, and, boy they dropped the ball because it is a really, really good movie. It is hard to deny how impactful that film is. I think the first six, technically it's like the first 12 minutes because there's some like little bit of like filler content, but the opening sequence of the war, we're introduced to several people, uh, chaos of war. Um, yeah. and then how it leads into these scenes of characters, uh, being stripped of their uniforms because they're dead and those uniforms being piled and then sent back and cleaned and stitched and then redistributed. What, I mean, that's like, uh, if you cut there as a short film, what a condemnation of, of how the, uh, the upper ruling class treats their soldiers, right? It, it's, lack of respect for just for human life, lack of remorse. Exactly. I, I, I think that opening sequence alone is, is worth watching the movie, but the whole film, very powerful, very emotional. Um, I thought pretty great. Uh, some very mm-hmm. harrowing sequences. Just, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, a little sad it's a Netflix movie in that I wish I could have saw it on the big screen. I think it would be very cool on the big screen. Yes. Um, I'm not going to talk much about it, but I did see the new M. Night Shyamalan movie, Knock at the Cabin, which we will be talking mm. about next week. Yes, I'm seeing this tomorrow, I think. Well, I will save most of my thoughts, but... Uh, I am excited to talk about it. Um, and then last month I mentioned I am doing a challenge this year, the uh, Other Filmmakers Challenge, that Flicks Chick, I believe I'm saying a bad word, folks, Flick Chick Bitch, that's her uh, Instagram name, um, has been pushing. I know. Um, and uh, 
they, remember each month they're going to give three prompts and your the goal is to watch just three movies a month that meet the prompts that either have a a female director, a trans director or a non-binary director at the helm. And um so I watched uh The Secret Life of Bees because one of the prompts this month is um a, a black filmmaker and I've seen almost all of Gina Prince Bythewood's uh filmography but when I was listening to the blank check podcast, I did not have access to secret life of bees. It was not streaming at the time. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the money to just shell out. So I didn't. And I noticed it was on, um, HBO max. And I was like, well, I'm going to jump into it. So I watched secret life of bees last night and good movie. I was, it's a really good movie. Um, Alicia keys, I, I think maybe needs to act a little more. Cause I think she's terrific in this movie. Mm-hmm. I was really impressed, uh, how good she was. Um, and I always like Queen Latifah. I really, I think Queen Latifah does not get yes. enough respect as an actress. Um, she brings just almost in, instant pathos with a character. Like I'm immediately like, I think you're so kind and caring. I, I get your whole persona with her body language, her demeanor. I think she's terrific in this. And that's the thing that I think Dakota Fanning is great. I was surprised that she is the centerpiece of the movie because it's like, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening. I almost don't want to follow her character. Like, you know, I don't know, but really good movie. Check it out. Um, uh, Gina Prince, Gina Prince Bythewood, maybe an underrated director. Cause she's really good. Like all of her movies are good. And what a diverse filmography too. Like you, yeah. you go from like love and basketball, which is a terrific rom-com or even just a romance. I don't know if it's fair to call it a comedy. Um, I, I like the old guard. I think the old guard's very good. I think the women King is one of the biggest snubs at the Oscars this year. Cause that movie's phenomenal. Um, yeah, I think dude, if that got were nominated for Bambi by me for best director. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Oh, the, 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 I can't think of what it's called, but her, her like, um, star is born type movie. That is really good. I can't something, the lights, something bright lights. I can't think of what it's called off the top of my head, but I, saw, I can't remember. But she's terrific director. Uh, the Blank Check episodes, again, only support that claim. But um, that's what I've been watching. Uh, you know, and in my film classes, we are prepping. One one class is going to be starting musicals. One class is starting science fiction. Um, and then my IB film class uh, for the month of February, we're diving into uh, black filmmakers. Um, so we're, we're focusing in on uh, directors and or movies that feature either black stories or um, black filmmakers for the month of February to celebrate Black History Month. So we watched uh, Steve McQueen's Lover's Rock yesterday in class nice. um which is part of the it's technically it's technically a tv series because of the way the bbc did the small act series but it's a it's a 75 minute movie and it, none of the, the episodes are directly related to each other they're all thematically and setting wise related but they are different stories um, but lover's rock is a really cool mood piece and i uh not all of my kids vibed with it because it is a mood piece it's not a traditional narrative in any way um but the ones that did vibe with it enjoyed it so it was cool nice um, that's basically our episode folks. But before I let Matt leave, before I just let him go back to the world of tea and crumpets, I must make sure that he is keeping his bloody awesome levels at peak operating conditions, especially since he's podcasting with so many other people these days, I got to make sure he's, you know, filling up the tank. So Matt, what have you been doing to uh, stay bloody awesome? Uh, this week, my friend, I've been, I've been unwinding somewhere. I've been walking in the air. I haven't been floating and I haven't been um, smoking my breakfast. I've just been getting out walking, John. Um, Ah. Like I said, working, watching lots of stuff and recording things in a short space of time is um, sounds like a good idea to start with. And then I think, oh, man, I can't wait to get back to just doing uh, two a week. Um, 
So in the meantime, I've just been getting out walking, putting uh, either a podcast in uh, or just music or, or, or a soundtrack or like a second one, like a synth, like a synth wave kind of plays and just getting out and walking even just for half an hour, get out, put your headphones on go for a walk uh, just to de-stress from a day's work. And I think it's um, without meaning to turn it into the kind of better health section, but just, I think I do think it's very important to look after yourself and look after you can't and make sure you have that time to yourself to chill out, to relax and do the things that you want to do when you're not necessarily compelled to have to do it. If you know what I mean? Um, where I, I enjoy so much watching films and talking about them, but it is nice sometimes to just think, you know what? I do something for me. And even if that is just going out and having a little walk. So I've been making sure I've been doing that. Plus gets the steps in John, it, you know, the new year's resolution to lose weight. Uh, it, 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 it's there. Uh, and the walks are certainly helping. So, um, it's pretty much it. JB It's just making sure that you're not just being cooped up at work, at home, watching stuff, talking about it, rinse, repeat type thing getting out there and enjoying some fresh air jb and i'm telling you something it's cold over here at the minute so certainly ah. waking me up a little bit but um what about yourself and john i've been walking about what you've been up to well i um watched a lot of movies last year the most that i'm aware of in my life mm-hmm. uh, 400 movies total 180 just from the year and i have definitely over the last six years neglected a lot of tv series um and so one of my goals for this year is to start bringing tv back a little bit sometimes I have like a self-imposed pressure to watch movies because I want to know all there is to know about movies. And so I always feel like if I'm, if I have a couple hours, I should be watching a movie. And sometimes I watch nothing because I'm like, it's too late to start a movie and I don't want to play a video game. So I just end up doing nothing. And I want to start using that time to dive into series because that's the beauty of series is you don't have to watch them all at once. I know a lot of people do, but I like, I, I sometimes like the idea of like coming back and forth. I, I did it a few years ago. I did it with psych. Like I would just kind of casually watch psych. And I just did that with central park. I just finished that series. Um, I'm keeping up with last of us, but I, I like that. I'm, I know each Sunday night I got to watch this, right. You know, like I have that, I have time to decompress afterwards. And yes. um, I want to do that with uh, Andor. Like I, I have 12 episodes to watch, but I don't have any, if it was going to get spoiled for me, it would have already been spoiled. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, and no one's really talking about it now. And I somehow yeah, avoided right. the big spoilers. Um, so like, I'm like, I'm going to take my time with this. I'm not saying I'm going to wait like weeks. I'm still going to kind of, at least once a week, I'm going to try to watch a, an episode, um, maybe twice a week, but I, that's kind of my goal. And I have this list. I, I jumped back on serialized, which is like letterbox, uh, Burke reviews there as well. Um, but for TV, um, I don't use it as much because again, I don't watch a lot of TV, but I made my list on there and I have some goals. And so, uh, Andor was the number one series on that list because I have so many people just telling me, you got to watch Andor, you got to watch Andor, you got to watch Andor. So I was like, all right, last of us was my pick. I wanted to be on, I don't want that one to get spoiled because that's a series I really am passionate about. Andor, uh, I want to jump in. Um, and because so many people have said it's great. So I'm, I'm staying true so far. I haven't watched a lot of series in January, but I've, I've watched more TV this month than I did most of last year. So uh, outside of the Marvel stuff with that caveat, I don't, I don't know if I feel compelled to watch all the Marvel stuff this year. Um, I might, but like I'm, I'm more, it feels like an obligation at this point. And I don't like that Marvel. I don't like that. I feel that way because I've been one of your last, I think film critics who are still like, what is everyone talking about? (laughs) Yes. And I'm kind of like, I want to see Ant-Man because I like Ant-Man and I like Paul Rudd a lot. 
But you know, honestly, though, to be fair to the movies, it's not even the movies and shows that I'm tired of. It's all of the discourse I'm tired of. I'm tired of uh, having to talk about that. it and everyone talking about it all the time. It's just like I want to talk about almost anything else at this point. <laughs> I hear that, my friend. In terms of the TV series of Marvel, uh, and I am also going to throw in things like the Book of Boba Fett and Obi Wan Kenobi that the, 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 and the Marvel series that they're good series. You know, they, they you know they're fun. But what I found as someone who doesn't really watch television that when I watch something like so well made as The Last of Us, and I mean in every aspect, not just the story, and to an extent Andor as well, because this whole thing is whole thing's practical. They put budget and time into that. It, you know, I, 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 you know, I'm gravitating more to them now because they feel a bit less, a bit less fluffy. They feel more substantial, and that mm-hmm. isn't to say the Marvel the series are a bubble gum. Same for those Star Wars ones, but so I look at other examples of TV where they just do it better. You know, they, every aspect is done better, generally with smaller budgets as well. Sometimes, and I can't, and that also sometimes turns me off when I think the next Marvel series. Hey, look, it might be fun, but. Um, I, the, the, the way it looks or certain things about it or, or like the fact that they're only half an hour long when I can watch a really brilliant piece of TV which is an hour long and I can feel an awful lot more um, and or didn't give me that though I felt differently but uh, the films are you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you but I'm not at the same time like the Marvel films I'll always be there to go and watch I know you're the bigger fan yeah. I mean Ant-Man I enjoyed Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp sorry Obviously, I'm extremely excited to see Ant-Man, Quantumania for, for um, Jonathan Majors, just simply for him, because he is great. Obviously, Bill Murray's in it, and the trailers do look good, and it is setting up now the, the Kang dynasty. But I, I, but I get you what, to a point there, though, my friend, yeah. I think that's the part that makes me feel the fatigue, though, is the fact that I know it's setting up a lot of other stuff, and I'm like, it couldn't. I just <laughs> want to see the movie. I just want to watch the movie and not have to worry about what's coming next. Like, you know, Those days um, are long gone, aren't they? It's mad. I know. They are even with like the new DC announcement, which look, it wasn't our uh, news articles this week. Oh, even yeah. That's what dropped. But I, I wish it was just, these are movies we're making and not the universe we're building. Cause I, yes. I, you know, it's again, it's just, it's, I already feel like I'm doing so much. I don't know how much it's more the obligation, I want to, like, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, you know, but Hey, my, hope it, I hope it's all great. Mind you. I hope I'm like, in a few months eating crow kind of thing but dude if they smash it out the park then i'll be going back i'll be lining up first in line i know that with star wars as far as i'm aware they're going to be announcing a new film at star wars celebration in in april now i think the idea will be if the film does well we'll release another one to bounce off it my understanding is that they're not going to announce a series or a trilogy it's going to be here's a film let's see how it does which i'm i'm all for because it could act as a standalone film and they can bounce off if they want to that you know, a bit like rogue one i mean that's kind of what i want to see more of well folks that's our episode as i alluded we will be back next week to talk about m night Shyamalan's new film knock at the cabin i will say i think it's pretty good um Whoa. with that said uh you can follow us on social media on instagram we're at bloody awesome movie pod and on twitter we are at BAMP underscore podcast, B-A-M-P underscore podcast. We're still on Facebook. You can search Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast and pretty much anywhere that there's social media, we're probably there. Um, yeah. On individual sites, you can go to BurkeReviews.com to read all my reviews and follow me on social media at Burke Reviews. Matt, where can they find you? 
uh, whatiwatchtonight.co.uk and similarly to JB, just search What I Watch Tonight across all of the socials, including Letterboxd, and you'll find me there. And of course, we now contribute to the tom- uh, tomato meter or the thermometer, tom- tomato meter. I don't know how to say that. Um, <laughs> tomato meter. The Rotten Tomatoes uh, thing where, you know, so like we said, Millennium Bugs, we're going to be giving you our fresh rating uh, here soon. Yes, sir. But um, we ask that you do the same to us listeners. If you like what we're doing, give us that rating. Give us that fresh and or five star and or whatever uh, weird rating system the device you're using to listen to us lets you do it helps other shows or other listeners and shows find our show and that's what this is all about we're just a big podcast community it's podcasters listening to other podcasters breeding more podcasters because what does this world need more of podcasts Podcasters. Um, with that we encourage you to keep watching movies and stay bloody awesome When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Awesome.